All right, grab your Bible this morning, open it to Ephesians chapter 4. We are going to continue our series in the book of Ephesians. I hope this has been great for you. We're talking about what it means to be in Christ and what it means to follow him, what it means to believe him, what it means to live a life for Christ. And we're going to get right down to it in Ephesians chapter 4 because the Apostle Paul is not going to mince words this morning and he's going to talk about something really, really important. Let me begin with a question this morning. What does it mean to be a Christian. What does that mean? What does it mean to be an authentic follower of Jesus? Not a fake follower, a real follower of Jesus Christ. What does that mean? What does that look like? What does that mean happens in our life? Not following my own thoughts or ideas of the world around me, following Christ Alone. That's what we sang this morning, right? Christ alone. We're asking a big question this year. What do I believe? And in the first three chapters of Ephesians, we saw that Ephesians was all about theology. This very, very practical theology and understanding of who Jesus is, who we are, what he's done, how God sees us, the blessings that are ours, the life that we have because we are in Christ. We saw all that theologically in chapters one through three. And then Pastor Cooper, who's here this morning, let's give it for Pastor Cooper, whoop, whoop, did an excellent job last week of starting us in chapter four as Paul switches and changes his conversation to, okay, now that that's who you are in Christ, this is how you should live. Here's the practical side of what it means to be a Christian. So chapters 1 through 3 through three are really theological. Chapters 4 through 6 are very practical to our everyday life. And in chapters 4 through 6, we really discover how to live for Jesus daily. These chapters will challenge us to live for Jesus. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. What does it mean to live for for Jesus. See, these verses challenge us to live for Jesus because we need Jesus, the world needs Jesus, and the world is trying to discover if Jesus is real or not, and they discover that in you and me. Because Jesus is gone. He went back to heaven. Now, wouldn't it be awesome if he was still here? Absolutely. It'd be great if he was still here, and we could just introduce our friends to Jesus. But he's not. And he did that on purpose because he wants us to live in the spirit and he wants us to model Jesus to the world. So what Paul believed was that if you believe in Jesus, then you need to be transformed. That's what he's going to talk about. If you know Jesus is your savior, if you believe that Jesus Christ is your Lord, then things will change. They have to change. See, he understood that embracing the ideas, by the way, the radical ideas of Jesus Christ and the gospel of Jesus means that you're going to stop living one way and you're going to start living a new way. And that's what he's going to talk about. Part of this embracing and believing in Jesus means change. Now, what changes? Well, Paul's going to talk about that throughout the rest of the chapter. He's going to talk, first of all, about our personal change. 
Then he's going to talk about some changes that we need to make in regards to marriage, in regards to parenting, in regards to being a kid and seeing your parents, and in regards to massive spiritual um, life and attack and growth in our lives. He's going to talk about that all throughout the rest of the letter that we get to read. See, Paul's intention is to point out that the way a Christian lives life is very different from the way we live life in the world. And starting right here in verse 22, Paul's not going to mix words anymore. <laughs> it's going to be very black and white. He's going to be crystal clear. It's not going to be gray. And he's going to say it exactly like it should be. And he's going to challenge us He's going to challenge us to live for Christ because what he's really come to and what he's really taking us to is that if you believe in Jesus, then you're a king's kid. And this is how king's kids live. And so this is where we're heading. We're understanding that our lives are different because we live in light of Jesus' forgiveness and power over sin because he died on the cross and rose again. And because all that is true, then we get to live for him. So this is Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 32. Now, as we dive into this section, which, by the way, I'm only going to preach through the end of chapter 4, but this really doesn't end there. It ends actually midway through chapter 5 in the conversation about what Paul is asking each of us to do individually as we live for Jesus. But we only have time to do chapter 4. And then, by the way, um, I'll preach the rest of chapter 5 in Shelton with Cooper and Witt. And somebody will be speaking here. So we're ex I'm excited about that. So, uh, but here's what I want to say as we dive into this section. Because there's several sections just like this one in the New Testament. There's one here in Ephesians. There's one in Colossians. There's one in almost every single letter that we read that Paul wrote. And you, we may wonder, why did Paul go through all this trouble? And why did God use Paul to write all this stuff down and to write it so succinctly and to write it so clearly? And why do we see this, this type of section in almost every single one of Paul's letters? I want us to understand why. And the reason why God used Paul to write these things down for the churches is because they had zero understanding of what it meant to be a follower of Jesus. I don't mean some understanding zero. They have absolutely no context whatsoever of who Jesus is and what it means to be a Christian. The Greeks and the Romans have no knowledge of Jesus Christ. They don't understand who Jesus is at all. All they know is that they've been serving mythological gods for thousands of years. They know nothing of the living God, and they know nothing of Jesus Christ who came and died on a cross this Roman torturous death, and now they're being asked to embrace. All they know is this guy named Paul blows into town, and when he blows into town, he starts talking about the living God. Not a mythological God, not a God that's a statue, not a God that's a wood figurine in your house, the living God who created everything. And this guy, Paul, as he blows into town, he also starts praying for people in the name of Jesus and people start getting healed of diseases. 
They start getting baptized in the Holy Spirit and they start speaking in tongues. They start prophesying in their churches and they start having tongues and interpretation in their churches. In other words, the living God, when they're together, starts to what? Starts to talk. Their gods at home don't talk. None of their gods have been talking for thousands of years. It's all made up stuff. But now the living God is talking and they're listening. And so thousands of people are getting saved all over the Roman Empire and all over the Middle East and all over Mesopotamia. And they need to understand what does it mean to live for this guy, Jesus. And that's why Paul begins to share and talk about what it means to follow Christ. So that's why we're studying Ephesians chapter 4 um, and the rest of the chapter, 17 through 32. So we're going to jump in. Let's pray real quick and open our hearts and our minds to God's word. Jesus, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for what you have for us this morning. We pray that you would open our heart, open our mind, open our spirit to the living God and to his word. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to um, kind of work my way through this systematically this morning and kind of look at it chunk by chunk. So join me in verse 17 as we begin. With the Lord's authority, I say this, live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life of God Far from the life God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. Now, I think I may know what you're thinking right now after reading these three verses. Here's probably what you're thinking. How in the world could Paul write a letter in the first century and perfectly describe life in 2023? <laughs> Isn't that interesting? He's describing life in the Roman Empire. He's describing life in Ephesus, but he's describing life now, isn't he? Yes. Now, how can that happen? It's actually easy. When mankind, Paul says, begins to follow either individually or socially as a society or as an entire planet, when all of us decide to reject God and to follow our sinful nature, however you want to describe it, as a false religion or as a new modern society, we're following our sinful nature. However you want to describe that, when we ignore God and follow our sinful nature, every generation will pretty much look the same. It'll look the same. It'll look selfish and narcissistic. Does the world look like that today? Yeah. Did the world look like that in the Roman Empire? Absolutely. That's exactly how it looked. The New Testament and the New Living Translation right here uses a phrase that I loved as I just was studying God's word this week to describe what happens to a life or what happens to a society that leaves God out of it. And the description is this. It's hopelessly 
confused. I loved that phrase because I thought it so succinctly described our world today. Hopelessly confused. What a great description of life without God. Hopelessly confused. See, Paul says confusion becomes a part of life and society when we close our minds to God's existence and our hearts become hardened without him. And when this happens, people have no shame. What does no shame mean? It means whatever I want to do, whenever I want to do it, however I want to do it, with whomever I want to do it. That's what no shame means. Now, how do we know, how, how can we understand, or how can we see when a world is hopelessly confused? I think there's an identifier that we can see culturally and globally that happens when an entire group of people are hopelessly confused. Here's what happens. The simple things, the simplest things, the most obvious things, overtly obvious things, become skewed, confusing. That's what happens when you leave God out. See, confusion is exactly where the enemy of mankind wants people living. Confused, struggling, anxious, stressed, worried, depressed, all of that. Why? Because I've created a culture of confusion. Where, where there's no foundation, where nothing makes sense, where we all get to just make up whatever we want. In that way of doing life, there's utter chaos and pain and confusion without God in the world. Now, when societies get stuck in that confusion, the enemy of our soul loves it because he can just easily manipulate people and draw them away from the goodness and the truth of Jesus Christ. Today, this is what we see. We see a world that is confused about so many simple, overtly obvious things, and it's creating challenges everywhere. But this is what's exciting about that confusion. You and I get to live for Jesus in a biblical way and we get to counter that confusion and watch people say, oh, I like that. I like that you're not confused. How can I get some of that non-confusion in my life? And you get to sit down and talk with them about Jesus. See, Jesus doesn't want us hopelessly confused. That's never the place that he intended for us to be. This is why it's important to believe what God has said in his word. Because his word is not confusing. His word is clear. It brings life and peace and understanding for our life today. And that's why this is very important to study the things. And that's why we are all this year answering one question. What do I believe? Because when you understand what you believe according to God's word and according to God's spirit, you are no longer confused as a follower of Jesus Christ. And you can live in a confusing world and not be confused because of who Jesus is. Now, verse 18 tells us something very important uh, about our heart and about our mind. 
Scripture says it's really important to guard our heart and mind. But Paul here says that, it, that we need to guard our heart and mind because if we don't guard our heart and mind, our mind can be full of darkness and we actually begin to just kind of wander away from God. We just wander away from Him. And before we know it, we're no longer on the path that God has for us. And we're struggling. See, our hearts make sure Jesus is number one in our lives. And our minds understand the purposes and the plans of God and keep us focused on believing God's will for our lives and living out the promises in God's word. Now, Paul starts the transition to how we live for Jesus in verse 20. So he's just told us in these first couple verses, 17 through 19, we're not going to live like the world any longer. We're going to start to live for Jesus. And so he starts his transition a little bit slowly, a couple verses. And in verse 20 and verse 21, he starts this transition. And look at the transition that he starts with me in verse 20. He says this, but this isn't what you learned about Christ. In other words, you didn't learn how to live confused. You didn't learn what you learned mythologically. That's not what you learned about Christ. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him. So what Paul says is the first step in living for Jesus is learning about Jesus. This first step that the Gentiles didn't know, that they didn't understand, that they needed to comprehend was the understanding of who Jesus is, who he is in them, and how he wants them to live in the, in the world today. And so the first step in living for Jesus is learning about Jesus. Now here's, <coughs> excuse me, something that's interesting about learning. Whenever we, we learn something, whenever we learn something new, it also requires something. And I know this is a bad word, but I'm going to say it up front, uh, so don't get really mad at me. But whenever we learn something, we, we also are required to do something, and it's the bad word, change. Requires change. When you learn something new, it requires change. Let me give you an example. Let's say for a while you've been the type of person that leaves all the lights on in your house while you go to work. Uh, you just leave everything on. So all the electricity is just burning all day long. And so all your lights are on and somebody tells you, hey, you know, you, you could save a lot of money if you didn't leave all your lights on in your house all day long. Why don't you just do an experiment? Just for one month, turn your lights off on the first day of the month to the last day of the month, and then look at your bill. And so you do. You say, okay, for July, I'm going to turn the lights off, and then I'm going to all month in the morning, I'm going to turn off all the electricity in my house, and, um, and then at the end of the month, I'm going to look at the bill. And when you look at the bill at the end of the month, what are you going to discover? I just saved 100 bucks. Wow, I had no idea. Now, after you learn that you could save 100 bucks and you could put 100 bucks in your pocket, what are you going to do? 
Turn off the lights, thank you. You're gonna turn off the lights. That's right, you are gonna turn off the lights. That's what happens. When you learn something new, you change. Now, if you go to the doctor and you learn that you have high blood pressure, are you gonna change something in your life? You bet. See, when we learn new things, we change. Let me give you another example, I'm not sure. If you discover that the 49ers win a whole lot more games than the Seahawks, then, okay, sorry, it doesn't work for everything, but some of you are not gonna change no matter what. When we learned the truth about Jesus, it changed everything. That's what Paul's saying. When you learned the truth about Christ, you can't live your old life anymore. It's not the same. Not a couple things have changed. Everything has changed. This is a complete transformation. This is a rebuild from the ground up. Burn your house down and start over. That's what he's talking about. It's a complete redo. When we learned that we were sinners and we could get eternal life in Christ and we said yes to Jesus, it was a do-over. It's a mulligan. It's a complete restart. So when we learned that God was real and he loves us and died for us and wants to bring hope and joy and peace into our life because he loves us, everything changes. The next two sections that we're going to study in Ephesians are God's direction for our new life in Christ. In Christ, we live different. Not kind of different, not a little different. Everything is different. Everything. Our hopes are different. Our purpose for living is different. Our plan for every single day in the morning to the evening to when we go to bed is different. What we believe about ourselves when we look in the mirror is different. How we treat people is different. What we think about nearly everything is different. What we think about sex and money and marriage and parenting and the spiritual world and identity, all of it changes. Every bit of it changes because we desire to live for Jesus and because Jesus changed all of it. So verses 22 to 24 become an incredibly important section as Paul launches into what it means to have a new life in Christ, to live a new life for Jesus, how to be transformed by Jesus. It's about the new person that we are and the new life that we're going to live because we believe the truth about Jesus. And he starts with verse 22 to 24. Look at it with me. He says, Throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, now look at that word, that's a key word. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Now I want to show you something as we launch into this that I think is incredibly important 
and very significant for us because Paul is communicating something about our new life that we are going to live for Jesus and it's only going to work itself out in our daily life if we let one person in and that is the Holy Spirit. Now I want to show you something that I think is really important in this large section that Paul does. As he launches in to direction about what it means to live like a Christian and look like a Christian, the first thing he says here is let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. So let the Holy Spirit in. You have to start interacting and living and being in relationship with the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit will convict us of sin, righteousness, and judgment and always, always point us to Jesus. Push us into Jesus' presence and help us learn to love and be joyful and peaceful. Those things happen through the power of the Holy Spirit. But here's what I want to show you. At the beginning of the section, Paul says this. Instead, instead of living your old life in lust and deception, instead of that, let the Holy Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. At the end of the section, now we're going to jump to chapter 5, verse 18. Paul says this. Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. So at the beginning of the section, Paul says what? Let the Holy Spirit begin to lead your life. And at the end of the section, what does Paul say? Let the Holy Spirit lead your life. Here's my point. If you try to live life as a Christian without the Holy Spirit, you will always be frustrated. You'll be frustrated, and I'll tell you why. Because the power that you need to live for Jesus in a very confused world is the person of the Holy Spirit who lives inside of you. When you said yes to Jesus, the Holy Spirit came to live inside of you. You've heard me say this before. This is like when you said yes to Jesus and you got home from church, you discovered there was a Lamborghini in your garage. But for some reason, you decide never to drive it. You know what that is? That's stupid. <laughs> That's just stupid, people. <laughs> you got to drive that car. That car's a powerful machine looking for somebody to hit the pedal to the floor. Last pedal on the right, people. That's what a Lamborghini's for. That's what the Holy Spirit's for. And you're trying to live Christ all on your own, within your own strength. And God's going, dude, I put a Lamborghini in you. What are you doing? Let the Holy Spirit work. Let him work. See, here's what we've discovered and what Scripture teaches us. We can't live for Jesus until we transform the inside of us. You can't live for Jesus until you transform the inside of you. And the Holy Spirit transforms the inside of you. Let me say something that's really important. Living for Jesus is not behavior modification. That's not the point. Jesus is not saying, I just need you to change your behavior. That's not what Jesus is doing. Remember, he's changing everything. How many of you, when you came to Jesus, there were things in your heart that hurt, that needed to be healed? 
that needed to be softened, that needed to be opened up to the touch of the living God. All of us did. Well, if that doesn't, if it doesn't, if the transformation doesn't start there, then that hardness just continues. And can I tell you something? There's nothing worse on our planet than a hard religious person. They're worse than hard non-religious people. In fact, they'll even use God's word and justify religious things for doing even worse evil than non-religious people do. So a hard religious person like the Pharisees is even worse than a non-Christian. So you have to start on the inside. All of that change that Paul's going to talk about on the outside, he starts with the Holy Spirit. It's got to start with your thoughts and with your attitude, with your heart, with what's going on in your thinking and your ideas and what you believe. That's all got to get changed and start to change with the Holy Spirit or else none of this works. You won't really start to live for Christ until everything is healed and changed on the inside. See, the Holy Spirit and God's Word teaches us everything we need for this life, and it must transform from the inside. Another great verse, Paul said this in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. That's the inside. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. In other words, you've got to change the way you think before you change what God wants you to do on the outside with people around you. You've got to change the way you think. So before we are given any direction, before we are given an ounce of direction about how to live for Jesus with our actions and our words, we are told to change our hearts and our minds on the inside, our thoughts and our attitudes. We are told to embrace the Holy Spirit who loves us and empowers us. Until that happens, none of the outward stuff that helps Jesus' kingdom go forward in a confused world will work at all. Because the reality is, it's just fake behavior modification. That at some point comes back to bite you. Because somebody will see you not doing the right thing at some point. And if you're not changing on the inside, then you'll just continue to be that person in private. And today, we have so many ways of doing evil things in private. And God wants to deliver us in every stage of our life. So Paul begins to give direction about how we live for Jesus after he has talked about the power of the Holy Spirit and about changing our thoughts and our attitudes on the inside and working that through. And then Paul begins to talk about our new life in Christ. So this is our new life in Christ. Verse 25. Stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth. For we are all part of the same body. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. For anger gives a foothold to the devil. If you are a thief... 
Quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good, hard work. Let me repeat that because that's a foreign concept to our culture now. Good, hard work. And then give generously to those in need. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. This is our new life in Christ. Now, if you live this way, does it kind of feel like everything is changing? <laughs> it kind of does to me. Like, and we're not even done, by the way. He's going to get to the really tough stuff in chapter 5. Or he's going to really push some buttons. This is our new life in Christ. Now, let me point something out. That each of these behaviors that we can often get stuck in, in our sinful nature, all of them begin as a thought or a belief. So they all start where? On the inside. They start on the inside. They start with what we believe about our words, what we believe about anger, what we believe about our stuff, what we believe about one another. All of that, all of this behavior, it starts based on our belief system, what we think. That's why it's so important for us to understand what we believe. They start on the inside before they ever become an action or a word. This is why changing the inside first must happen. When we change the inside through the power of the Holy Spirit, the outside will follow. But it doesn't work the other way around. You must change the inside first. See, lying, it's just a thought. It's a thought that begins to roll around in your head. And the thoughts sound something like this. Oh, oh I, I need to look good. So I, I have to lie, so I look good. You know, words aren't really that big a deal. Everyone's doing it. I recently read an article that said that in America right now, about 85% of us lie 50% of the time every day. <laughs> what? <laughs> now, I don't know if they just kind of, maybe they just asked all the people in a very lying area. 
That seems like a really ridiculous stat to me, but that's what it said, and it blew my mind. Um, but whew, that's a lot. It's Seattle. I don't know. <laughs> You'll do anything when you're a Seahawks fan. I'm just saying. It's, it's, um, once you've said that lie to yourself, like, why does it matter anymore? Everyone does it. It's just a little white thing. What's it really going to affect? And all those false ideas, all those lies, rolling around in our head, get us to what? Lie. Before we know it, I lie all the time. And then before I know it, I'm a habitual liar. We get angry because we want our way. In fact, unrighteous anger is a deep form of selfishness. Unhealthy anger is really narcissism. Because anger, wrong anger starts with a very, very strong and powerful me first attitude. And what happens? What, I mean, I can tell you where, where I'm at with anger. I mostly get angry about things that what? Are not what I want. That's just the truth. When something's not the way I want it to be, I get angry. What is that? That's selfishness. That's all it is. It's pure, unadulterated selfishness on steroids. That's what anger is. If I don't get my way, I'm ticked. And if my family's not doing what I want, I'm mad at them. If the world's not doing what I want them to, I'm mad at them. And before I know it, I'm just an angry, mad Christian. See, evil anger, Paul says, if we don't take, if we don't let the Holy Spirit heal it of us, what happens? Anger will control you. It'll control you. In other words, you will begin, the lens that you look at life will be anger, judgment, frustration. Everybody in the world is doing the wrong thing and I'm doing the right thing and so I'm angry at them. That's anger and it begins to control you. And everything about life, you begin to look at life and everyone in the world through your anger because it's controlling you. Let me give you an example. Evil anger, really evil anger, gets worse because the devil works in your life, Paul says. Has anyone in the room, think about this for a moment, have you ever gone to bed really angry at someone? Like you go to bed really angry with someone or about something and when you woke up in the morning, you felt great about that person. You're just so happy they were in your life. So hopeful for the situation. I mean, just joy bubbling out of you as you woke. No, that's never what happens, is it? When you're angry with someone and you don't take care of your anger, now I don't mean you solve the situation yet. I mean taking care of your own anger that's in your heart and at, talk to Jesus about it. 
and confessed your sin to him and worked out your anger. The, the relationship's not fixed yet. The situation may never get fixed because the situation you may be angry about may be challenging. Like Kate and I went to see that movie about sex slavery. I, I'm angry about that now. I'm, I'm really angry about that. It's super frustrating and I want to do mean things to people that do that in a righteous way because I've somehow convinced myself of a lie that it would be okay to kill them because they're rude to little girls and boys, right? And I have to check my anger at the door because that's not what God wants for me. Anger will control you if you don't let it, if you don't take a hold of it because anger has a root of selfishness. It's a belief that's not like Jesus, by the way. See, selfishness is not a part of Jesus' kingdom. Jesus told us to what? Put others first, just like he did on the cross for us. One of the staples, one of the foundations of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that we don't live for ourselves anymore. We live for others. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. So when we live for ourselves, we're not living the way that Jesus wants us to. When this becomes my new belief system that others are more important than myself, I'll find myself getting less angry. When we steal, what we're really saying is, I don't believe that God is my provider. That's what we're really saying. When we steal, what we're really saying is God can't give me that, so I have to take it. Stealing is also a complete opposite of how Jesus wants us to live. Jesus wants us to live as what? Givers, not takers. In fact, if you're wondering what you should do financially, look at this verse. It's so great. I loved it. Uh, verse 20, 28. If you are a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good work. And then he models for us just a little quick thing, whether you're stealing or not, what God's plan is for our material wealth. And then give generously to others in need. Paul lays out for us the purpose of financial wealth. It's not to take, it's not to hoard, it's not to keep, it's to give. The reason we are provided for is to give. We become like a revolving door. God wants his people to be generous, not thieves. Proverbs 18.21, one of my favorite verses in all of scripture says this, the tongue has the power of life and death. Whew. Just got to pause for a minute and just let that sink in. The tongue has the power of life and death. Now, that's pretty black and white. The words that I say can either be good or evil. The words that I say can either bring life or they can be death. 
well, Pastor Mark, that's a really evil thing. Don't we need to talk about it in a very, like, evil way? No. No, you don't. You can actually talk about very, very challenging evil things in a very life-giving way when you bring Jesus in and when you pray about it and when you think about the words that you're going to say and you think about your tone of voice and you think about the way that you're going to communicate in a very compassionate and loving and gracious and Christ-centered way, you can actually talk to extremely evil things in a life-giving way. But it takes work. It's a lot easier to just spout off on social media and act like a bully. That's way easier. It's hard to think about my words. It takes work to think about what I'm gonna say. It takes work to be patient. It takes the Holy Spirit to say, Mark, don't say anything right now. <laughs> don't say anything. I need to talk to you for about 10 years before you say anything about that subject, right? How many of you are like me? You need the Holy Spirit to stop you in your tracks to help you go, don't say anything right now. Just be patient. Let me talk to you for a minute before you have a conversation with that person again. In our new life in Christ, we believe that our words are extremely important. Our words have life or death. Therefore, Paul says this, what? We don't curse. We don't use foul language. And we don't use our words to abuse people. Why? Because our words are extremely important. And the words that we use need to be given, given life and encouragement, he said, to those who hear them. Let your words be encouraging to those who hear them. See, what we believe and what we think about the power of our words will change the way that we start talking or the way that we start listening, or the way that we stop talking altogether. As we talk about and kind of close this idea of the tongue having the power of life and death, let me ask you a question. Does this section of scripture, does this belief, does this truth from God's word also affect what we post on social media? I think, I think so. And I think we need to think about what we post on social media. Because social media has allowed us all the opportunity to be a hundred times more rude than we were before. And that needs to stop. Especially for us that are believers in Christ, that are putting the name of Jesus first, we need to think about every single post we ever make. Does it honor Jesus or is this a selfish post? Verse 30. In verse 30, Paul says that we can actually hurt the Holy Spirit's heart. We can actually hurt God's heart based on the way that we are choosing to live. Wow. Wow. That's serious stuff. We hurt the Holy Spirit 
because we want what's best for us. He doesn't want sin and our deceitful desires to hurt our life. I, I think we also hurt the Holy Spirit because our lives are saying something to the world about Jesus when they know we are a Christian and we got to think about what's the world hearing from our life. It hurts the Holy Spirit when Jesus is dishonored by our thoughts, our attitudes, our actions, and our words. And then lastly, Paul kind of puts this catch-all in verse 31. If you've ever wondered, like, what, is, what does God think about the way I drive? Like, it's not in Scripture. Well, sure it is. It's right here. Get rid of all types of evil behavior. This is the catch-all. So you say, well, there's tons of modern things that we do that aren't in Scripture. Well, here it is. Here's the catch-all for us living in the model, modern world. If that's evil, get rid of it. And say, Pastor Mark, I'm not sure how I'm supposed to, what I'm supposed to do with social media. We just talked about it. We can, we can encompass it in Scripture, can't we? Get rid of all evil behavior. And then lastly, let's look at verse 32 because I think it's great that we end on a positive note. In verse 32, Paul encouraged us several positive ways to live for Jesus. And he just says this, be kind, be tenderhearted. This word is also translated a lot, compassionate and forgive. These three things, be kind, be tenderhearted, forgive. Now, when we think about living for Jesus, let's ask ourselves an introspective question. Am I kind? Really, honestly, be real now. Are you kind? Say, well, the people in my family, they're the closest to me. You know, they, know, they really know me. Well, then they really know you're not kind. That's not good. That's not good at all. Are you kind? I'll tell you one of the ones that was hardest for me when I was a dad, like I used to think, well, I'm a dad, so I gotta just, not their friend, I just gotta be dad. So that means I, I shouldn't be kind? I had to work through that. Like my kids need to know I'm kind. By the way, that's why I go and teach in children's ministries when I'm not in here, because I want the kids in our church to know I'm kind, I'm compassionate. And I love them. And Jesus loves them. Are you kind? Are you tender-hearted? Tender-hearted is the opposite of a hard heart. When we have a hard heart, our mind and our heart is close to God. And we wander away from Him. A tender heart is open to God. A tender heart is open to the people around us. Say, well, Pastor Mark, you don't know the evil way that that person lives. That's not the point. Jesus was tender hearted to everyone, wasn't he? Everyone. The prostitutes, the tax collectors, the worst people in town were the people Jesus was most tender hearted to. So as Christians, if we're gonna live Christ-like lives, then we need to be tender hearted to the most evil people on our planet. 
to model the life of Christ to them. Say, well, what might they do to us? That's also not the point. Yeah, you might suffer. You might be persecuted. You might lose some stuff. You might get hurt physically, emotionally, mentally for the sake of Christ and the gospel to let that person who is very evil understand the tender-hearted love of our Savior through your life. That's hard stuff. That's hard stuff. Lastly, do you forgive? Are you forgiving? Or is there still something in your life right now today that you would say, I'm, st I'm still not forgiving that person or that thing? Here's what I want to say. Living for Jesus, <laughs> it's radical. I, we see things in our world today like dare to be different. And we know what that means. You want to live the most different life in our world today? Become a Christian and actually live like Jesus wants us to. You will have to live completely different than a world that is confused. This is so different from the way our world is encouraging us to live. The mark of a believer in Jesus is someone who is living very different than those around them, but also in a way that is incredibly authentic and real and kind and compassionate and forgiving and loving and joyful and hope-filled and led by the Spirit. They are not influenced by the world. They are led by the Holy Spirit and His power because they know what they believe and they stand on the promises of God's Word. This is the mark of a believer in Jesus. When the world sees Jesus' followers living radically different lives like this, choosing every day, no matter what, to be kind, compassionate, and forgiving, people will start wanting Jesus again. That's what will happen. The power will come back into the church and the world will want Jesus again when they see authentic, real followers of Jesus Christ. So what does that mean for us today as we leave? Live for Jesus. I know it's not easy. In fact, it's very difficult in our confusing world today. But you have all of heaven behind you and you have the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of you. And if you ever wonder what that power is like, the Holy Spirit hovered over all of creation as it was made. The Holy Spirit is part of the creative process of our entire universe. The one who is inside of you, the power that is inside of you, created everything you see and know. That's how much power is inside of you. So can he help you with your anger and your hurt and your pain and your healing? Can he help you be like Jesus to a lost and confused and hurting world? Absolutely. The world is watching. The world is watching to see one thing. Once you declare that you're a Christian, the world's watching you. They want to know one thing. Is Jesus real? Is he really real? Because if that person says they're a Christian, 
I want to see it. I want to see the real Jesus. I want to see someone who doesn't lie and doesn't steal and is compassionate and is kind. And when we talk about things in our culture that I know they don't like, like LGBTQ, I still see them being kind. I still see them being forgiving. I still see them being honest and genuine and gracious and loving, even though I know that those are things God doesn't like. How do they do that? Whatever it is that they have, I got to give me some of that. Is that what Jesus is really like? It is what he's really like. And we've got to let him change us on the inside so he can change us on the outside. Would you stand with me? I'm going to ask our prayer partners to come forward and would you just pray with me as we close? Jesus, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. Lord, I'm I'm just so encouraged that your word is crystal clear. (laughs) I'm so encouraged that you are the God of order and your word brings order. I'm so encouraged that when we believe what your word says and what your Holy Spirit is speaking to us, that the confusion of our world literally just fades off of us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. I pray, Jesus, that you would help every single one of us in this room. This isn't even a, I raise my hand if I want to do this. No, this isn't a, I'll raise my hand if I want to do this. If you're a Christian in the room, this is for you. It's not about whether you want it or not. When you said yes to Jesus, you said, I'm going to start living for Jesus. So this is the command. This is what we're called to. We're called to be kind. We're called to be compassionate. We're called to be forgiving. We're called to put off our old self and embrace the new self in Christ. So every single one of us in this room are meant to leave this room ready to live for Jesus in an entirely new way. Holy Spirit, I pray that your power would just fall upon each of us. Would you fill us afresh as we leave? Every single day, would we wake up in the morning and say, Holy Spirit, I need you today to help me be like Jesus. When our feet hit the floor coming out of bed, it's the first thing. Holy Spirit, I need you today. I got some tough stuff I got to deal with today, but you're with me. And I need you to help me live like Christ. Lord, would you help every single one of us to leave this room ready to live for you in that way? Help us to guard our hearts and our minds from the world, from the confusion in it. And help us to live rock solid in what we believe based on God's word and the Holy Spirit's work in us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. We all said, amen, amen. Thanks for being in church this morning. Hey, I just wanted to let you know our prayer partners are here for you. If there's something you're working on or working through, I really want to encourage you, don't leave until you've prayed with with one of them. And I always remember, Jesus loves you very much. So do Kate and I. Have a great week.